0: Good morning, and welcome to episode 663 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello,
1: hello. You know what we never do? What we never did is we never did that thing where like one of us goes, "I am Ben Lindbergh," and then the other one goes, "And I am Sam Miller." We could have done that, like in episode one, we could have chosen to do that, and we would still be doing it.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of people who it would not have made any difference to. Maybe they would have figured it out. <laughs> Maybe. I think it would have been more memorable if our if our names were reversed. Someone emailed us about what we would do if we had a freaky Friday scenario and mm. switched bodies for a day. Mm-hmm. I said I would try the squeaky laugh.
1: <laughs> yeah, give it, take it for a ride.
0: Yep. Although, you have to wait for the right moment. I guess you can't force it. I would cough a little.
1: Tomorrow, I have to go get chest x-rays. Oh, my. Yeah.
0: Those antibiotics are not doing the trick, huh?
1: They're not doing any tricks. Hmm.
0: Let me know how that goes. All right. Okay. Anything to discuss? No, sir. Okay. Well, last week, we talked about the Mike Trout fan section. We got some emails related to the Mike Trout fan section, wanted to share a couple of them. Corinne Landry said the early two thousands were something of a glory era for player specific fan groups at Veterans Stadium. The stands were so empty that the groups could have entire sections to themselves. You touched on the notorious Padilla's flotilla as well as Sal's Fasano Pals, but there was also the Duck Pond for Brandon Duckworth, the cringe worthy Homies. And the fan group that started the movement, the Wolf Pack for Randy Wolf, the greatest of those sections, though, was the superbly simplistic Person's People for pitcher Robert Person. If ever there was a long-forgotten fan group worthy of our love and attention, that's the one. That's
1: accurate. That is the one.
0: How did Brandon Duckworth get a fan group, do you suppose, other than his name? I guess Uh, it was his name. He never did a whole lot that was fan group worthy. Brandon Duckworth.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably not. I mean,
0: going to guess if his name was Brandon Jones, he wouldn't have had a fan section.
1: Yeah, I I'm trying to like he wasn't really a prospect either, right? It's not no, like
0: it was I, exciting. Yeah, I thought maybe he Sixth was first Yeah, he wasn't ever ranked on a top 100 list or anything. So
1: acquired for Billy Wagner? Maybe that was enough? Hmm. Maybe maybe as the return for Billy Wagner? Although <laughs> Yeah, could be. Could be. Yeah, uh could be. wait, no. That was the other way. Oh. He was traded for Billy Wagner after the after the Duckworths, whatever it was called.
0: Uh-huh. So the fan section built him up into a tradable commodity. Got a closer for him. Matt said that he liked the Buner Boneyard at the uh-huh. old Kimdo. That's a good one. And Brandon suggested that Marlins closer Steve C. should have a fan section called the C-section. Your thoughts? Yeah. You're asking me? Yeah. Well, he, I already he is. <laughs> but I've you already shared e- your thoughts.
1: I already emailed him my thoughts, and you've seen them. So yeah. I feel silly to tell you now.
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell everyone. You liked it. I did like it. <laughs> uh, okay. I liked it a lot. Okay. Question from Steve. Has everything in baseball happened before? I was thinking about Sam's idea for real-time win probability incorporating all of the Statcast data and how feasible it is. That isn't to say the analytical and computing power can't do it, but I wonder if it can be done at all. That is, you'd make predictions based on precedent. If the full set of actions is defined, e.g. poker, only so many card permutations, then we can draw on those previous events to predict the future. If the action set is nearly limitless, akin to a chess game going off book after so many moves because that game has never happened before, can we predict the outcome? Could we cobble together research on individual aspects of a play, batted ball data, fielder positions, runner speeds, etc., to make one reliable prediction? Uh,
1: you'd you'd really so uh, I you might Ben you might need to cr- to correct my misunderstanding of of either this question or of my answer. We'll, we'll wait and see. But, mm-hmm. I mean, these things are... For one... Okay, so, so, so there's two kinds of, of ways of coming up with one of these things, right? One is to look at, historically, how often a team wins when they're in, in X position.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and, you know, we've got thousands of games, and so most of them have... Uh, most possibilities, as far as simple base-out states and scores, have, have happened before... Um, plenty of times and you can draw some conclusions based on what happened in those plenty of times. The other way is just to sort of, mo- uh, it's a little bit more simple but also a little bit more complex. You sort of know the likelihood of scoring a run um, in any given state and then you can sort of extrapolate that, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I don't really feel like explaining a whole lot more. So um, so the, the f- in the former one you can say that everything that needs to be known or that needs to have happened has happened, right? I mean, we haven't had the exact sequence of events that have led to wherever the Giants and Dodgers are in the sixth inning right now, obviously. But we have had a two-run game in the sixth inning uh, at home a billion times. Mm -hmm. And so that one, yes, everything has happened. The other one, obviously, everything hasn't happened because a pitcher of exactly Bumgarner's Skill level against a team of exactly the Dodgers skill level level hasn't happened with exactly this sequence of events that got to this part of the game and might affect what's going to happen uh, further into the game. You know, perhaps something having to do with how many, uh, you know, how many pitches each batter has seen and where they've hit the ball, um, and you know whether that makes them slightly more likely or less likely. Obviously, that has never happened, mm-hmm. but. I think that's unnecessarily complicated, and mm-hmm. I don't think you particularly need that. To me, the the former is uh, pretty close, and and also, even if you're even if you are kind of extrapolating what is likely to happen instead of looking at the historical record uh, based on probabilities and all that, there's a nice, generally true, generally true, a probably generally true discreteness of each uh, plate appearance. They don't. I don't think that what happened to Ignacio Puig's at bat in the fifth has that much to do with A.J. Ellis' at bat in the eighth. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, I mean, it might in a very, very, very specific way sometimes. But for the most part, you don't really have to worry that much about what has happened before. The plate appearance between Ellis and, you know, Sergio Romo in the eighth or whatever it is stands on its own. 99.8% of the information necessary to assess the likelihood of each outcome in that at bat is uh, is wrapped up in Romo, Ellis, and Ballpark, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's just not really that necessary to know all the things that have happened before in the game to make that a better prediction. That's what I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So the example that you gave or that we were talking about last week where we would want a real-time win probability where just everything that can be measured by StatCast moves that needle some. Minute amount, so the the players' lead on first base gets a little longer, and the win probability changes. So you could start with your kind of baseline win probability, your simple win probability, probably the score and the base out state and everything, and uh, you know the inning and the players who are facing each other, and that would get you almost all the way there, and then you'd have to, you know, have lots of processing power so you'd have to say that when runners are on first base and they get this kind of lead, they score or they, you know, they go to second, this often or they score this often and then you would just adjust your your baseline probability just a tiny amount to account for that. So it's not like you would need to have a database of games where it was this exact situation and this exact lead by the guy on first, you could adjust your your baseline based on what happens when guys in any game take this lead at first base.
1: Your words might be different than mine or your idea might be different than mine, but I actually think of it less as adjusting the baseline of your present state and more estimating what the next... Basically, if you have a win probability for every batter, I'm trying to project based on what is happening in the middle of the play the process of the play the process of the at bat and the process of the play i'm trying to basically project what it is going to be at the as the baseline for the next batter mm-hmm. so once the ball is in play you have x percent that it's going to be a single and you know what the win probability will be if it's a single you have you know x or y percent that it's going to be a double you know what it's you know uh, what the win probability will be if it's a double and then the percent that it's going to be an out uh, with no advancement, and you know the win probability, and then you're just uh, figuring out uh, the the mean or the whatever the cumulative uh, probability to sort of estimate what the next win probability is going to be. Mm. But it would still basically be the you know the standard win probability that you would see for each play if you went to fan graphs or if you looked at a box score on Baseball Reference. It would still basically just be based on on that. You're just trying to estimate the next one in real time as it's happening. Mm.
0: All right, we will huddle with the engineers at MLB Advanced Media and hammer this thing out. Um, Question from David, who has not had enough Cubs prospect promotions. He wants to think about one more. Let's say Javier Baez came up for a full season of baseball and did no worse or better than last year. Let's say he has almost 600 at-bats, scores 72 runs, hits 25 homers, 60 RBIs, and 13 stolen bases, plays... Good shortstop at second base and hits 170. Are those stats worth a starting shortstop or second base position in Major League Baseball? Could anyone have stats like that and play for 10 years while hitting below 200? You could, but not with all of the stats that he had last year, I think, which uh, is maybe why we haven't seen him in the Major Leagues this year. I mean, both of the wars gave him negative one win um, above replacement last year in his 229 play appearances. And that was partially a defensive rating, I guess. He was, you know, negative two or negative three in the defensive ratings that go into those things. And you could kind of throw that out. He's saying average. He plays good shortstop second base. So if you... If you played a good shortstop second base, if you were an above-average fielder and you did what Javier Piaz did, maybe, maybe you could play. It wouldn't be great. I don't think you could play for 10 years because at some point you wouldn't be able to play good shortstops second base anymore, probably, and then the bat wouldn't be good enough. So, I mean, he had a 51 WRC+, plus or a 52 OPS+, plus. That is awfully hard to overcome. Just you know, two twenty-seven on-base percentage is a hard thing to get past, even for a middle infielder. So I'm going to say no.
1: The uh, if you set the minimum for three thousand plate appearances um, and look for the lowest OPS pluses in history, mm-hmm. uh, starting in let's say post-dead ball, you mm-hmm. get Hal Lanier,
0: who yeah.
1: had. Thirty-nine hundred plate appearances over a ten-year span.
0: Chris Getz.
1: A... What? Chris Getz. What are you talking about? Is he on there? Oh, you, you're at you're <laughs> guessing. You were moving into the guessing portion. Okay. Hallenier <laughs> uh, is at is is at fifty, and so he's uh-huh. worse. I assume he was a heck of a defender. Yeah. Um, and that's how he kept screwed. But at, at least there is a precedent for an offensive player that bad. So that was from '64 to '73. Tommy. Thieve now, <laughs> uh-huh. uh huh. played for 15 years with an OPS plus of 51. Tevano? But... Oh, yeah, could be. Tevino could mm-hmm. be. Yeah. Uh, uh Also a shortstop. Bobby Wine, 55, also a shortstop. And Ray Ordonez in uh, kind of in the modern times where people would know, Ray Ordonez at 59 and Johnny LaMaster at 60. Gets? Gets wasn't that bad. <laughs> How oh, bad honestly. is Gets. I don't know. I would guess. I, what do you want to guess? Or let's okay. We're doing two guessing things here. <laughs> what is his career OPS plus and how much money did he make?
0: Oh, okay. Career OPS plus. All right. I guess I'll say sixty-three. And career earnings, Chris gets man three point eight million.
1: All right. I'm gonna say seventy-four OPS plus, and. million. Okay. Just to keep it simple. All right. So OPS Plus, 68. Mm. So you win by one point. All right. You said 63? Yeah. You were off by five. I was off by six. Okay. Million dollars. Wow, Ben. Yeah. What did you say?
0: I said 3.8.
1: Oh, it was 3.3. All right. Pretty good job.
0: I am a multi time winner of the Chris Gutts guessing game. Uh huh. (laughs) Okay. All right. Justin says, let's say Alex Rios is out for more than a couple weeks. He is, right? Omar Infante is still playing at his current level. At what point would running a three-man infield of Eric Hosmer, Alcides Escobar, and Mike Moustakis in a permanent shift with a four-man outfield of Alex Gordon, Gerard Dyson, Lorenzo Cain, and Terrence Gore slash Paolo Orlando with one playing short behind the opening on the infield, be considered completely outlandish. Sal Perez and all three infielders are legitimate gold glove contenders, as are Gordon and Kane. Orlando seems to be an above-average fielder, and Dyson and Gore are so fast that they can make up for mistakes. How insane is this?
1: Doesn't this get it exactly backwards? (laughs) Isn't the fact that Dyson and Gore and Gordon and Kane and Orlando are basically all center fielders uh, make it wasteful to have four? I mean, they're going to just basically be bumping into each other all the time, right? Like they can't. There's almost no ground for a fourth person to cover. Wouldn't you want? If it it seems to me that if you had, for some reason, you had to play a man short, Mm -hmm. uh, and I would take I would take one out of the outfield for them.
0: Yeah. Right, the two-man field.
1: Yeah. So, so that's how I feel.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, is it outlandish? It's pretty outlandish.
1: It's. I mean, it, okay. So let's re, let's. I guess maybe reask the question with, if the names were all different, if you took all the names and replaced them with other names, and maybe also took, the idea and replaced it with another idea, <laughs> and maybe the email address with another email address. Yeah. What about that idea, Ben? The huh. one I just out.
0: If this question were different, how different would it be? Very different, uh, evidently.
1: It, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. Would you uh, – I, I think we – I don't know. It's hard. It depends on the pitcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the answer. depends <laughs> on the pitcher. Yes, right. And the situation. Mm-hmm. But this is not the team I would try it with. What team would you try it with? If you wanted to go with a four-man outfield, three-man infield in the majors right now, given the personnel involved right now, what's your team? Who do you go with? Padres? Yeah, but it's not like they have a good. They have a big outfield. That helps. And they have, you know, bad outfield.
0: Right. But it's not like they have. Extra outfielders. They've got, you know, Upton.
1: Oh, right. So they get more. uh, (laughs) Yeah. They do have Upton.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I was going to say they get another bat in, but then you (laughs) said his name. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I feel like, uh, I mean, just the uh, presence, the existence of uh, Anderson Simmons mm-hmm. makes it tempting to just say well go with a six man outfield and yeah. let In- Simmons but uh, maybe the the Rockies uh, mm. have a good enough infield that I feel like you could take one out and then that's a ton of, I mean
0: yeah the, that's a good Colorado,
1: one the Colorado infield is exactly the same size as everybody else's but the outfield is far far bigger and and outfield babbitt has always been you know the bugaboo for their pitchers uh, so it makes sense architecturally and having you know Arenado and Tulo mm-hmm. is a it's a great start. And Lemahieu. And Lemahieu, yeah, mm-hmm. do it. Let's do. Why haven't they?
0: <laughs> they are shifting a lot this year. They were the the last place team in shifts last year, and they're like seventh right now, which seems unfair. If they get all of those guys and also Justin Morneau, who's a pretty good first baseman, and they get lots of shifts, that's a good defensive infield. So yeah. You're right, Coors Field, BABIP, That's a that's a good fit.
1: Speaking of the shift uh, in Colorado, I recently heard a visiting announcer talking about that, talking about their shifts, and he said Walt Weiss uh, is a saber type manager like Tony La Russa. And uh, I, so, okay, that, I was just going to ask, what what is what would be your reaction if you heard an announcer say that, and you 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 guffawed? I
0: did. I scoffed a little. I I mean, in the sense that he played the percentages, That that's sort of a sabermetric thing, I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so he is, I don't know if he would consider himself one. He hasn't really made, I mean, he is with the Diamondbacks, made it pretty clear that he doesn't want sabermetrics to influence managing or to be part of managing, or so he says anyway. But yeah, maybe it's a case of actions, being a little bit different from words, and that he was, you know, looking to exploit any edge that he could. I don't know if that's a sabermetric thing or it's just a just a thing that all managers do, and he was better at it.
1: Yeah, I uh, I at first thought about about scoffing, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I decided not to. Yeah. Okay. I opted to not scoff.
0: Uh huh. I wish I could take my scoff back.
1: You can, you're the editor of this podcast
0: (laughs) Well, I'm leaving it It's a matter of public record now Uh Okay Question from Eric in San Francisco Last week I made up an excuse to leave An important meeting at work When someone texted me that the new Star Wars trailer Was out At that moment, nothing else mattered to me So my question, what would be the baseball Equivalent for you? What is the one on-field thing That gets you to a TV faster? Let's keep it to the feasible so no Aliens abduct the Cubs
1: And yet he includes a 27 strikeout game (laughs) Yes, right He says it stretches the band of feasible Uh, I I'm Oh, oh, these are, yeah So he offers five home run game, consecutive perfect games By the same pitcher, 27 strikeout game Web Albers save opportunity (laughs) Uh, Web Albers
0: save opportunity If I knew, if I knew about it If someone tipped me off And someone would, many someones would Based on just how many people tip us off when one of them pitches in a non-save situation, um, that would be a an instant TV thing for me.
1: Yeah, but sort of like the way that like uh, like the Cuban Missile Crisis was, <laughs> it would be like we would all hold hands, we would pray, mm-hmm. we would you know it would be a hard route against, in my opinion. Yeah. Because it oh how disappointing will it be when one of them gets a the save and it's just like oh nobody acknowledges it it's just a thing it's just an, an artificial thing that we've been talking about that will it will break my heart when the pointlessness of my job is made very clear right i wonder, I, I, I do wonder if either one will break out a safe celebration remember what, didn't we decide didn't this start because albers yeah, had he, indications of a save celebration.
0: Yeah, he got, yeah. he got a hold or something in the eighth, and he had yeah. like a proto save celebration.
1: I yeah, I I I, uh, I organically wrote about uh, Matt Albers in like early 2013, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, he had a uh, yeah. Here it is. Uh, it was actually last April. Have we really only known Matt <laughs> Albers for a year? I
0: think so. It seems like much longer. <laughs>
1: All right, so Matt Albers threw 14 pitches and got eight swings and misses uh and so I wrote about that inning. Uh and uh and yeah, so he had a uh he had like something like a yeah, he lifted his fist and walked off. He looked like Jonathan Broxton. He had like a a big fist pump and a and a woot a celebration and it indicated that he had been practicing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh
1: and in fact, we had been talking about before this because I referred to this yeah. in the piece okay. all right uh, so anyway the answer to the question I, I stop what I'm doing for a, when there's a chance for I I stop what I'm doing when a guy has three home runs early in a game uh, early enough in a game that I think he will get a fifth mm-hmm. I I will flip over if I'm watching baseball I'll flip over to see somebody with a shot at the fourth but I won't stop what I'm doing necessarily to do it mm-hmm. uh, but a fifth home run I do I really do want to see that because it feels and I know we talked about it once, it feels like it should have happened a lot more than it has. Yeah. And we Russell did the math and it has not. It should not have happened. As I recall, it should not have happened more often than it has. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. But it feels like it should. And uh, I would like to see 5 get knocked out. I wouldn't be that interested in seeing a 21st strikeout in a game. I would be. I mean, I would I would stop what I was doing to do that. But I wouldn't be that interested in it. However, given the choice of one thing to watch happen that's realistic uh, from the beginning, it would be a 21-strikeout game. I really, really want to see a 21-strikeout game a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: yeah, there, more. there are some things that you have to be there from the beginning, the whole experience. So uh,
1: Bryce Harper or Angelton Simmons pitching. pitching extra innings yeah. would be thing to me.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that too. Like a star, a star player player, pitching a star player who we you know talk about his arm strength pitching like when Ike Davis pitched the other day and was really good and got three grounders i was kind of impressed that just ike davis was pitching like ike davis struck me as a better player than the typical position player pitcher or a better hitter usually it's utility guy or third string catcher or, you know some backup guy not a not a starter not an above average major league hitter so that was that felt sort of exciting just to see that. Ooh. So, yeah, yeah, to see a, a star, uh, it won't happen because, I mean, and I was almost you know surprised that like the A's were risking Ike Davis in that situation. Um, and I think the A's hadn't had a position player pitcher in 15 years or something, like since Frank Manichino, and this was the moment that they chose to have one. So that would be one for me. I don't know if that rises
1: to the level of Star Wars trailer for me either. No, no. No. I mean, Star Wars trailer would be <laughs> Bonds Bonds comes out of retirement would be Star Wars trailer. Sure. For me, uh it's definitely not Star Wars trailer, but I I one thing that I would really love is you know how sometimes a game gets suspended mm-hmm. because it's too late or it's the 8th inning and it's tied. Yep. And uh so it gets suspended. I I would love a game to get suspended and not be played, not be finished uh, until the end of the year when it has to be played because the suspended game was between two people who finished the season tied, mm-hmm. for the you know for a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. And so to have a game to have that basically to have a a one game playoff, a winner take all playoff game that starts in like the bottom of the eighth to me. Would be pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. I'd,
1: I'd, I'd wake up thinking about that one.
0: Between now and December, there might be so many Star Wars trailers that it's not quite as special.
1: All right. I, I, I didn't think this one was all that special. Uh, the, I, cause I, I thought the, the first, the, the, the I guess it was a teaser, mm-hmm. what, but it felt to me like 90-ish percent of what you got from the second one was in the first one.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a good trailer. Thought it was well well made, increased my anticipation slightly more.
1: The first shot of the teaser trailer when that guy like you're what you're like you're looking at the desert and mm-hmm. the guy his head pops up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So to me, that is the equivalent of like the that is the equivalent of the you know the amount of millions that you need before the club no longer has leverage over a player to sign a pre-arbitration <laughs> like that was that was the 6.7 million dollar signing bonus that Chris Bryant got uh-huh. and once you got that shot everything else is just like more millions i'll never spend
0: uh-huh <laughs> yeah good Han <hot> and chewy <laughs> okay all right play index
1: all right this one is not Particularly, uh, this one will not advance human uh, human understanding of baseball. Oh,
0: that's uh, a shame, because that's, that's what I expect out of the play index segment, as a minimum.
1: It's, it's, yeah, this is more just a classic search. Uh, I'm bringing this up because uh, it's somewhat significant. This is actually an organic play index in that I did a play index a couple days ago, and I saw the thing and I thought, oh, I can use that as the play index because the results were interesting. Little did you know, Ben, mm-hmm. that this week, Monday, to be exact, marked the five-year anniversary of the last time a pitcher got four hits in a game.
0: <laughs> You're right. I didn't know that. Not even a little.
1: Nobody even mentioned it. I almost mentioned it, but I decided to hold off. So uh, so this is, yeah, this is a, a, a classic case of a thing you can look up on Baseball References Play Index in about a second and a half, and... Uh, you will take longer debating whether it is worth looking up than it will take to actually look it up. Uh, So uh, I simply went to Playindex. I went to the game finder. went to the batting game finder. I uh, selected pitchers only. And then I looked for uh, batters who had at least four hits in a game and I sorted by date. And it was just that easy. It was that easy, Ben. And within seconds, I knew that Uh, The next day, as it turned out, was going to be the five-year anniversary of the last time a pitcher got four hits in a game. So, uh, five years without a pitcher getting four hits in a game. What does your gut tell you about whether that is notable or not? Hmm.
0: Well, it's funny. I was just writing something about pitcher hitting, which has thus far this season reached new levels of incompetence. Mm -hmm. Uh, Never before seen pitchers. Right now, as a group entering Wednesday's games in about 500 plate appearances, had a negative 36 WRC+. Their worst ever was negative 19, which was last year. So they are quickly, it's, it's kind of becoming almost sadistic that we are making pitchers do this at this point. So, but that hasn't always been the case, clearly. I will say a four-hit game by a pitcher, I would say five years is an unusually long time because pitchers are worse now than they've ever been offensively. I would say at one point, pitchers had like a 40 WRC plus and all the pitchers hit. So, although there were fewer teams, but it was probably more common then. So, what am I, am I guessing the average time between this and baseball history or something?
1: I don't know, you're guessing whether five years is uh, significant or not, I, I guess.
0: I would say it's longer than the average gap.
1: All right, so uh, up th- you're right that pitchers used to be a lot better, and uh, and I think both of us have written about this. They, up until like 1960, uh, they were considerably better, mm-hmm. um, and then they've been on basically a straight downhill slope ever since then. Yeah. And I don't know what happened in 1960, to be honest. But something happened because um, because even though the, the progression to getting worse has been you know, somewhat steady since then, there does seem to be like a, a cliff that they fell off where they quit being competent hitters and they became incompetent hitters. And they weren't as incompetent as they are now, but they were incompetent. Like starting in 61 or so, they just abruptly became incompetent. You quit thinking of them as, as threats at all. Uh, and then they get worse and worse. But anyway, uh, so there used to be lots of these, right? In the '40s, there would be you know a few a year, because uh, everybody was pitching complete games, and they were you know relatively good with the stick. And there'd be some guys who were actually pretty good with the stick. Uh, but since 1960, it's actually not that unusual to go five years. I thought that uh, what my first thought when I saw this was, oh, five years! I bet that's a record. I bet this is a sign of the times. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not at all. There was. A one in 2008, three in 2007, but before that, there was a six-year gap, and before 2001, which was at the end of the six-year gap, there was a five-year gap, so there was only one in a decade, Uh, and then there was one in 97, one in 96, one in 93, one in 91, one in 88, one in 86, and before that, a 15-year gap, Hmm. which I don't know how to explain, because this was starting in 1970, which was prime complete game territory. Now... There was the DH, so something happened between you know the late 60s and, and you know the mid-80s that made it less likely during that stretch than there would have been before. Uh, but all the same, uh, you had pitchers throwing complete games and going deep into games and not as bad at hitting, and yet they went 15 years without. So in fact, the lack of four-hit games uh, is not a sign of the times at all. Huh. Uh, so then uh, three-hit games, I wondered, well, maybe there's fewer three-hit games. And uh, there's actually, uh, the, the number of three hit games has actually been fairly steady too. There were five last year, but there were 11 the year before, which is the most since 2001. And 11 is actually the third, no, sorry, the second most since 1974. And so, in fact, 19, in 2013, you could have written a trend piece about all the pitchers getting three hits in a game. <laughs> And that's kind of odd. Why would that be happening? It doesn't seem to make any sense. So then I kept going. So because I know that these hits have to be disappearing somewhere. There's somewhere pitchers aren't getting hits because they're horrible. So then 2000. uh, So then I went to two hit games, and finally we find it. Two hit games are way down. Last year was an all-time record for lack of two hit games. There were only 44 by pitchers in all of baseball. That was a drop of 20 from the year before. It was a drop of 13 from any year in history previously. <laughs> uh, sorry, 12 from any year in history. Um, and so, in fact, we have, we have seen the lack of pitcher hitting manifest itself, mostly in lack of two-hit games. Um, by the way, uh, if you want another anniversary? Sure. June 20th, two months from now, basically will be the 20th anniversary of Terry Matthews being the last reliever to get three hits in a game. (laughs) And uh, strangely, this is kind of odd, but it makes sense. It takes a minute for it to make sense. But strangely, that used to be really common. Uh, It used to be in like the 60s, 50s, 40s, I guess 50s and 40s and beyond. There were at least a couple of those every year where relievers would get it, which is weird because you think wait there were no back then but of course if you were a reliever you were probably in until the end of the game uh, and or you were quite likely in for the end of the game you weren't being pulled the first time a lefty came up so the relievers were pitching much longer stretches of uh, of games so uh, so that's one thing one other thing that we saw last year that was a record by a significant margin last well kind of last year uh, there were only two pitchers. Who got 5 plate appearances or more in a game uh-huh. uh, and so that was an all time low uh, the year before there were 3 that had been an all time low and I think there had only been one year in history where fewer than 5 there, it, before that it had been pretty reliably going down for obvious reasons but still it was like 8, 9 a year before that so so suddenly the 5 plate appearance uh, game disappeared and I wonder if that's because it's not always the case, but uh, I think that nowadays, if you're throwing a shutout uh, and you're cruising, and you know your pitch count is reasonable and your team's up uh, by 11, uh, I think this. I think now they pull you, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's very long ago that they let you go. If your pitch count was reasonable, uh, th- I think there was a feeling like, oh well, rest the bullpen, uh, nail this down. It's a status thing to have shutouts, uh, even in the even in the pitch count era. I still think that there was a, an idea that, you know, if the guy could do it without straining himself, let him throw some pitches. But I think now people are smarter and realize that uh, the number of pitches a starting pitcher throws in a year, they really do add up. And if you have a chance to get a guy out after 80, 80 pitches instead of 110, uh, it probably is more to your benefit to save those 30 pitches from your starter than it is to save it from your mop-up man. And I don't think there was a real underst- uh, or uh, I don't know there I don't think that there were actions taken uh, along those lines until fairly recently mm-hmm. so that might be the that might be why the doom of the five plate appearance thing is gone because you would only get five plate appearances if it was a blowout uh, and you were pitching well and I think that now that uh, now when you're there's a blowout and you're pitching well they get them out of there
0: Mm-hmm. yeah and maybe it's more awareness of how guys get worse as they go through the order and how oh,
1: Ben it but it's not it These be. are blowouts These are blowouts You bat yeah. If you're a pitcher And you bat five times Your team has scored Fourteen runs Guaranteed Because <laughs> uh-huh. the, the leadoff Guys getting a the Sixth plate appearance That It's a blowout mm-hmm. It has nothing to do With whether Wainwright was good The fourth time Through the order mm-hmm. Wainwright was cruising He was way up They pulled him Because they didn't Want Wainwright to get tired That's the story
0: Alright Good play index Coupon Thank code BP Get the discounted price Of $30 On a one year subscription the same Brandon who told us about the C section asked us about pitchers hitting he's a very ardent DH supporter as am i i wonder how how bad would pitchers have to get for even people who just love pitchers hitting and are still staunchly anti DH for them to turn on pitchers hitting uh, like
1: <laughs> oh well it's easy it's, it's as soon as they quit Pretending. As soon as like, <laughs> you see a pitcher, just go up there. Never swing the bat. Like do the the Santiago. Oh, that Costa, happens.
0: We see we see teams instruct their pitchers not to swing once in a while.
1: Hardly hardly, hardly ever, and you usually don't know. Mm-hmm. They usually, they usually stand up there and take a hack. And I feel like if pitchers thought that it was more likely to get them hurt than any benefit they'd get from swinging the bat, then it would be a farce. Then it'd be the equivalent of watching an intentional walk.
0: Right. I used Except- that very word farce in my thing that I wrote about pitcher sitting today.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh all right, good. You and me.
0: <laughs> so I'm there sure. already. All right, good. Okay. All right. Miles in North Dakota says, In sports we often hear that Team X has not won a championship in ten years, and that is such a long gap of success as it as if they are supposed to win at least every five years or so. How is success and disappointment gauged for baseball teams since there are 30 teams? Should a team be satisfied with winning twice in 30 years, showing they're ahead of the curve? Or is every season an entity in itself, with one team receiving a passing grade and 29 failing? If only one team can win per year, what is the appropriate standard of satisfaction that your team is succeeding? Are playoff appearances enough? Since the Giants have won three of the last five championships, when is the next time they should be expected to win before it becomes a problem? What did we talk about once we did like a, an estimate of when every team will have won for the first time and it was probab- probabilistically speaking it was like what in the 2070s or 80s or something assuming that the teams actually are still in existence. Same teams at that point. So I mean, you know, randomness alone, there's going to be long stretches where a team doesn't win, maybe not Cubs long stretches, but not winning for 10 years or something is what you should expect, unless you are maybe the team with the best payroll, biggest payroll, you know, best everything, biggest market. Even in that case, though, I wonder what the baseline expectation for how many years should elapse between championships would be?
1: My answer to this is if they've won one in your lifetime, uh, that is half of it. Mm-hmm. So, so that means that it's it's subjective, right? I mean for
0: in your conscious lifetime.
1: In your conscious lifetime yeah, uh, you have to have gotten something out of it. You had to have experienced something out of it. yeah. So uh, so that I mean to, to some Yankees fans, the Yankees have not been successful but to you they have been that that now that's not that's only half that's half the equation so they are successful uh, if they've won in your lifetime and as long as they have have and are continuing to avoid being a team that players don't avoid going to mm-hmm. so like if you get if you go through a losing cycle that is long and pathetic enough which might only be 3 years or 2 years but usually is a little longer than that then you are unsuccessful. The Warriors, I don't know if this is actually true for, for basketball players. I don't, I don't know how they choose where to go. But the Warriors were unsuccessful for a long time, uh, because they were, they had, you know, they did have their championships under their belt, although not in my lifetime. Uh, but uh, they went through a period where they were just generally seen as losers. And if you were a marquee free agent, I imagine you would go, well, I'm not going to go to that team. they're losers. And anytime you get to that point where people start saying, oh, they have to overpay to get free agents or whatever, that is unsuccessful. Uh-huh. Uh, but otherwise, I don't think you need to win championships to be successful. Like, I don't think you need to win one every 10 years. Maybe if you're the Yankees or the Dodgers, then you do. They're held to a different standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, I, uh, yeah, like if, t- if you're
0: the Tigers, you know,
1: I think the Tigers have been very successful. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's an extremely successful franchise in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Uh, wouldn't have said that in 2004 because they had to overpay to get reagents. But, uh, since then, I, I mean, a Tigers fan's got to be pretty thrilled. So, like, I would say that I would consider, and, and all all franchises have had successes, so I don't want to throw any franchises under the bus. But if I'm thinking about it, I would say Angels, successful franchise. A's, successful franchise. Astros, eh, not, not, not currently a successful franchise. Mm-hmm. Blue Jays, very... You know, kind of borderline, but I would say successful franchise. Braves, successful franchise. Brewers, <laughs> n- not successful franchise. I have to say, Brewers are not a successful franchise by my standard. Mm-hmm. Cardinals, yes. Cubs, uh, uh, close. Uh, n- I would say no, not a successful franchise. Yeah. Not. A- Cubs are not a successful franchise. I. I just remember.
0: <laughs> You're agonizing over that one. That seems like a gimme almost. I mean, they've, is a, <laughs> they've had good teams from time yeah. to time.
1: The thing about the Cubs is that it, the lack of a championship is uh, is part of the the allure. Yeah. And uh, it is the not having a save, but having closed a lot of games, finished a lot of games, of baseball teams. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, Cubs, I kind of like, if I were a Cubs fan, uh, I think that like my dad might sit me down and say, you know, don't don't go cha- don't go running off with a championship. You know, think it over. It's not, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, just you know, be happy with what you are. It'd Be like a prom night talk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that them not winning a championship kind of has some benefits. They will write me mean emails about that statement, but uh, <laughs> all the same. All right, Dodgers successful. Nationals, Nationals are successful because they're the Nationals. If they if you think of them as continuous with the expos, they are unsuccessful. But ten years without a championship is not enough time to say that they are unsuccessful. Giants successful, Indians unsuccessful. Yes, un. Mariners unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Mets uh, unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orioles unsuccessful. Padres unsuccessful. A lot of wow. Pirates unsuccessful. Phillies successful Rangers I'm gonna say successful they did not win a championship and I they I probably have recency bias on their good years
0: yeah they were the model franchise within two years so yeah.
1: those those really were their golden years though mm-hmm. and it was a two- year run of getting close so I could see the argument there are those
0: them. 90s game 90s years of getting there every year Pad Rodriguez uh-huh. and those those groups
1: uh-huh yeah, yeah. Uh Reds uh close but no. Red Sox, yes. Royals, no. Tigers, yes. Twins, yes. White Sox, yes. Yankees, yes. Rockies, no. And Rays Rays, yes. Right. And Diamondbacks Diamondbacks. Oh, man. Diamondbacks I think
0: Diamondbacks, yes. I think they they went so quickly from expansion to good that that I think kind of just gives them a yeah. a long grace period and it has been has been long but
1: yeah Diamondbacks yes and Marlins no Marlins no interesting Marlins no yeah oh Marlins are horrible they're the least yeah they're the least successful in a lot of ways I know they win World series every so often but that's not enough that's only half of my math mm-hmm.
0: okay well you really went above and beyond on that question you pronounced every franchise successful or not so uh,
1: I got it. Okay,
0: all right, so that's it for today. We've got some good ones. I will save them for next week. Jeff Beliveau has been diagnosed with a torn oh, labrum well. in his shoulder. He will undergo season-ending surgery with Dr. James Andrews. Get well, Jeff. Uh, you have been an effectively wild character in your time. And that <laughs> is it for this week. Send us emails for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Our Facebook group is at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And please rate and review us. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And as we have said already, support our sponsor, the Play Index, at baseballreference.com. We will be back tomorrow.